0: i am a revolutionary i am a revolutionary i am a revolutionary welcome everybody to az reviews on episode two we are going to be taking a look at judas and the black messiah and of course i got a double feature for you today because we're also going to be taking a look at willy's wonderland starring Nicolas cage but that one's gonna be a shorter review because I have so much to talk about with Judas and the Black Messiah. Please, will you stick around with me as I review a double header for you, Willie's Wonderland and Judas and the Black Messiah. Stay tuned. The struggle is real, ladies and gentlemen. Or at least this is what this particular movie tells us. Or <laughs> just struggle movies in general. Well, and before I get on to the review, before I even say anything, let me tell you what a struggle movie is. Struggle movies are basically all of those movies that came out in sometime in the 80s and 90s about people who are in low-income situations or in poverty who really didn't have enough money to do the certain things that they wanted to do all because the white man came in and just fucked everything up for everybody you you know the movies you may you may not know them literally but you've you've seen a few of them um for example boys in the hood menace to society dead presidents even some um comedies like friday or lottery ticket or even um some more modern day ones aka the uh the white ones like hillbilly elegy and uh that's about it <laughs> yeah but basically all those movies are basically like man, man we 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 don't really have that much money um uh, we don't really have that much money we we just got to be gangsters uh yeah yeah i can't afford no mcdonald's son so so let me let me just grill you some uh struggle burgers in my easy bake oven <laughs> but but uh, uh, But regardless of that fact, we are here today to take a look at a new, more modern Shrugan movie that's actually based off a true story. And that true story movie is basically called Judas and the Black Messiah, which is directed and co-written by Shaka King. (laughs) And I I don't know if he has any uh, affiliation with Shaka Khan, but... Yep, that's his name. His name is Shaka King, and it's also co-written by Will Benson, and it, and the cinematographer is uh, a man named Sean Bobbitt, who I'll get into as soon as I get into the review, but right now, we're going to go through the cast, and the cast consists of Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanford, Dominique Fishback, and Jesse Plemons, a.k.a. Fat Damon. <laughs> and Without spoiling too much, essentially what this movie is about, it's basically about the uh, the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Coalition back in around 1969, I believe. And it f- focuses on its former leader, Fred Hampton, and how the government basically, under J. Ugar- J. Edgar Hoover's orders... Infiltrated the Black Panther coalition to take them down from the inside. Um, co- um, all thanks to a man named William O'Neill, who helps infiltrate the Black Panthers and try to figure out the weaknesses and whatnot and take them down from the inside. Without spoiling too much, and without, if you know, if you don't, if you don't know the real life events behind this movie it's probably best to go in not knowing anything, but if you do, then you're gonna, then you're probably gonna have a very interesting time with this one, now there's a reason why I did bring up the struggle movie genre I might say, it's a the the reason why I uh, bring up those movies, it's essentially because when you have a movie that speaks to the struggle of plight of Low-income people, most most predominantly black people, you basically have a movie that um, defines every anything and everything about black people through poverty, and we've been spoon-fed that that type of genre for so long that it almost feels how do I say like that's a part of us and. Obviously, that's not true because there are some movies out there that have shown that, hey, not all black people are defined by poverty and hood movies and gangsters and killing people and whatnot. Prime, prime examples are Black Panther and Get Out and Us and whatnot. None of those movies take place in the hood. All those people look like they um can hold down a job and whatnot. It and the problem with most struggle movies is essentially that when you're dealing with struggle, it's either too heavy-handed, like everything's all black and white, everything is all um, uh, good guy, bad guy, kind of like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or some bullshit like that, or it's or there is something interesting going on underneath the surface. But the problem is is that it's poorly written, or poorly acted, or poorly edited. And you're not really going to get... The, there's not many films that hit that sweet spot. I mean, there's a lot of films that have a message or something going on behind it. But if all the elements don't come together to make something interesting, then you're just stuck, in, stuck with another movie that is just going through the motions, trying to force... Trying to force some sort of Oscar win with some sort of memorable line, no matter how stupid or how cheesy it sounds, or uh, someone forcing out a tear from the audience or whatnot, or some intense moment. But there's not really much done in terms of writing, or in terms of the direction, or in terms of the editing. And after a while, all those movies from the 80s and 90s started to bleed in on themselves, and we just got tired of it. And Um, so what I want to explore is essentially what's the case with Judas and the Black Messiah? Is it a, is it another Oscar bait movie that speaks to the plight of black folks? Or is it just an, or is it actually a well put together movie? And honestly, I'm going to say this now. It's more of the latter. (laughs) yes, you heard me, ladies and gentlemen, Judas and the Black Messiah is actually a really, really well done movie, now, before I go into the actual review, I actually do want to say something here, because, um, I've seen a lot of critics and a lot of reviews that say how powerful this movie is, and how inspiring this, uh, this movie is, and honestly, this movie's not really that inspiring, if I would, if I were to say so myself, it's, it's not, or at least not inspiring in the way that you would think. um, Because um, if I had to say this, after watching this movie and learning more of the history behind everything that happened with uh, Fred Hampton and the uh, Black Panthers of Chicago and um, O'Neill and everything that's happened, I'd say it's more anger-inducing, if anything. It's more depressing. It's more irritating. And it's mostly because of what Fred Hampton was, what type of person Fred Hampton was. And as much as I don't like to talk about politics, and especially I don't, I don't want to bring it into the show. But this is one of those movies that kind of, that you kind of have to at least say something. And this is my take on it what, what I've seen in this movie in, in particular, and how Fred Hampton, um, and what Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton has done with the Black Panthers around that time is, is that he did have a, uh, rhetoric of, um, telling, of telling common folk that, um, the police and everything and whatnot are the enemy, and we have to, uh, Essentially, kill them or essentially uh, fight against them. But he, but you also have to understand that at the time that all this came out, there was a um, there was the Vietnam War going on. There was the Red Scare happening. I mean, there were a lot of things. Oh, and not to mention civil rights, the civil rights movement around that time. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X were both killed. So you have a an america at that time that is literally on the razor's edge once more and and everybody is angry everybody's confused everybody is picking sides and fred hampton shows his side and he decided to use the black panther the black panther party to not only unite um to unite black black people in in the state of Illinois or in in the city of Chicago against the government, but also he provided things for his um, community. He provided hospitals, he provided shelters, uh, free food, free breakfast for, for kids, free education for the black community, and for and somehow Fred Hampton was able to unite almost multiple parties black white men and women spanish it didn't it didn't matter what color he was able to unite all these people underneath the black the black panther flag all at the age of 21 by the time that all of this was happening he was in his um early 20s he was he wasn't even a teenager yet he was he wasn't at the drinking age yet and that baffles my mind because he because he did such an amazing, he did so much amazing work, and he wasn't even at the drinking age. I'm 23 years old, and I'm just starting to get on my feet, and (laughs) trust me, I can't can't even hold a candle to what uh, this man has done, and honestly, seeing his work undone, and seeing uh, how history and how our government has treated not only Him, But the um, Black Panther Party in general labeling them as terrorists and almost um, and calling them the worst possible thing to happen to this country. And uh, more so than communism, more so than any other uh, terrorist group at the time, um, because the Black Panther Party um, had such a powerful voice in Fred Hampton that even at the age of 21, he was able to unite everybody that that was just it was just interesting to see play out in this movie um but i'll say this and this is the other thing that most struggle movies and most movies that are based off of true stories they don't show you they don't show you the gray side because usually Everything is black and white. Everything is, okay, uh, this guy's the good guy, this guy's the bad guy. You, you, you know who you're rooting for, you know who, who you're rooting against. And in Judas and the Black Messiah, that is a different story. Because in Judas and the Black Messiah, you actually do get a gray area with almost every character that's presented on screen. Whether it be, um, whether it be Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, Lake Stanford as O'Neill, even the FBI agent played by um, Jesse Plemons, so you get a lot of gray area with these characters, and it makes them a lot more interesting and a lot more compelling because there are times in this movie where you can, see, where they show. Um, Fred Hampton's um like they show uh Fred Hampton's contradictory nature whether it be with uh whether it be one moment he'll have a speech where he says uh, a good pig is a dead pig or um kill one pig you get a little bit of satisfaction kill more pigs you get more satisfaction kill all pigs you get absolute satisfaction and then the next moment when someone comes in and they're like okay I got this dynamite Let, let's go kill some pigs he's like what the fuck are you crazy are you crazy you can't go kill pigs who who told you to do that what, what, what the fuck are you told me to do this no 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 man i didn't say blow up pigs man, man get this shit out of here what what the hell's wrong with you man are you trying to get us killed like there, there was there is a defining line that like not a line there is a defining thing about it and Um, The fact that there is a gray area with Fred Hampton and all these other characters, because um, it shows you that Fred Hampton at the time, even though he was a powerful voice amongst the Black Panthers and a great and possibly a good leader or at least a powerful leader amongst the Black community, he was still you could kind of tell that he was still 21 years old because all of the like at the beginning of the movie it shows that all of his speeches you can kind of tell were off the cuff he's kind of mumbling through some uh speeches you can probably um tell that he's like looking at something in the crowd and just pointing that out and um not really fully committing to certain things Yeah, and they even they even go out their way to explain that yeah he that Even though he was a powerful voice, he was still 21 and he didn't have all the answers. He wasn't entirely sure about certain situations. And I just like that because you don't really get to see that. You don't really get to see the gray area in certain movies, in in certain characters or in certain people who aren't entirely sure or, or who are just, you don't see the mistakes of these types of people and this movie shows that hey even though Fred Hampton was a powerful voice, he still had his flaws. And um and no more and that's and that's further shown in uh what's uh Dominique Fishback's character, um Deborah, who is uh Fred Hampton's wife because she kind of points out all a lot of his flaws and a lot of um and a lot of the issues that a lot of his issues especially in his beginning years um but once they uh get together you can also see that there's a morally great um not morally great but there's something um uh, pointing her Kind of away from the black panther party because there's a situation that happens where she now has to um kind of think for two people um for not not only for herself but also for um, people in her family and her new husband and i'll say this i'm so glad that this movie got to sh- um show more of um her side because usually with movies like this as well You don't really see the wife character kind of take on that um, role. They might have a line or two or they might um, have the uh, wife acknowledge it, but they don't really show how she feels or they don't show how um, how this is affecting them, at least not as much as this movie shows. And I really appreciated seeing Deborah's side because they're in effect that she's probably still one of the few living people um, from this era and from this movie, and I'm, and I hope that the real life Deborah appreciates it, because I appreciate how this movie did, even, um, Lakeith Stanford's performance, um, in this movie is just fantastic, because there's a lot of moments that he has to kind of essentially be, like, like, because he's the one infiltrating the black man, he has to essentially, um, play this character who has to um kind of how do i say this he has to kind of be like he he can't show that much um he can't show he can't show that much while he's around the black panther coalition and it's mostly because um you can tell kind of like fred hampton he's a young dude he's a young dude in a situation that he doesn't fully understand so when he hears fred hampton talk about what the what the next war is going to be is it going to be how how is the next war going to be waged it's going to be with guns it's going to be with rocket launchers it's going to be with grenades and he's like oh shit this man has grenades and you, you can kind of tell like in those moments where he finds out certain situations he's kind of like man i got i got i'm too far into this i'm in way over my head i and you can kind of tell when he's freaking out you can kind of tell like how he has to play it off, and like once the situation kind of cools down, you can kind of see him like nervously looking around. Like there's moments where um, there's one dude who um in who was in the Black Panther party said that um they found a snitch, and how they basically tortured and killed the um this particular snitch, and you can tell that Lakeith uh, Sanford's character is getting like nervous, but he can't really show it because if he shows it. Uh, It could ultimately get him killed or get him found exposed and his cover could be blown. And again, he could get killed. And uh, this is probably one of the uh, few performances that I actually really enjoyed from the Stanford. Um, Yeah, because seeing him in movies like Sorry to Bother You and then his other previous main film Death Note, um, it's like it's like seeing him go from night to day because seeing him uh, work with very little in Death Note. And then going from very little to um, just doing a more dark comedy film like Sorry to Bother You. Then seeing him going to a full dark drama uh, biopic like this one. It's really interesting to see. And I'm um, glad that Lakey Stanford is getting more work that um, helps him stretch his acting muscles. Because before, you couldn't really tell. Because he's kind of... um, Because with most other characters, he's kind of that basic dude. He's he's Lakeith Stanford and everything. Um and even in this particular movie, uh when he has to kind of interact with Jesse Plemons' character, um, named the FBI agent named Roy Mitchell, Agent Mitchell, um, even um Agent Mitchell has kind of a, a morally gray, uh morally grave uh grave uh standing at first you can't really tell what type of person he is or whose side he's actually on, but when once you start to realize where everybody stands, and as the movie goes on, and you and more layers are pulled back. You even start to um, see um, his side of things, and and I feel like Mr. Plemons actually pulls it off really well. And seeing him go from Breaking Bad to Game Night to this, it's it's you can kind of tell that. Um, the cast in this is, is like all across the board. They do really well in their parts, and um, and that even goes for the, um the director himself, Shaka King, who um especially um who lets all of these actors um lets all these actors actually perform um perform with um uh, perform perform to the best of their abilities they he lets the actors tell the story rather than do some camera work or do some editing work that's like symbolic because if this was in the hands of anybody else if this was in the hands of someone like say spike lee spike lee would have put like some sort of song over over it, like a sam cook song or uh yeah like a sam cook song or something like that to kind of um oversimplify the situation rather than have the actors speak for themselves or he would have put up uh some real life photos of what was going on to kind of um to kind of show off what uh what was happening at the time but sometimes you don't really need that and all that you need is just the actors and something that's well written and i feel like Uh, shaka king and his team did a fantastic job with this especially with um the camera work because there's a lot of moments i didn't notice this the first time but on my second viewing i noticed it a lot more um this movie feels like 1969 from the costumes from the from the costumes to the lighting to the way just everything looks it feels like i'm in that time period even like even the neon signs and like how it kind of reflects off of everything and just the lighting the lighting and camera work and cinematography in this movie is fantastic and even even when it gets to some of the more dramatic scenes and scenes of uh, tension you can cut the tension in um, in the air with a knife like it's that thick and and when when you get to those intense moments it's almost like you're kind of you're kind of gritting your teeth because you're you're hoping that um, no one gets killed in the next couple of minutes, or you're hoping that someone gets out of this situation, or you're hoping that the worst case scenario doesn't happen. And um, like, yeah, there were so many times where I was just white knuckled, even even though I kind of knew how the story would end because again, this is based off of a true story, and a lot of this is played for dramatic effect. It, it's still I still felt white knuckled for most of the movie and I really enjoyed those scenes of tension and considering the fact that the cinematographer, uh, Mr. Bobbitt, Sean Bobbitt, is it Sean or she? I think it's Sean Bobbitt. We're going to go with Mr. Bobbitt. Considering the fact that when you find out that Mr. Bobbitt was a cinematographer on 12 Years a Slave and Shame, you can tell That he pulled a lot of influences from those movies because when certain situations would happen in those movies, whether it be moments of torture or just lingering shots of someone um, being hanged and everybody just not helping them or going about their business, um, like in Twelve Years Slave, it was it was intense. It was gut wrenching. It was hurt. It, it, It hurt to see that. And they, and you could tell that um, though Shaka King was in charge of the director's chair, without Mister, without Bobbitt, he would, um, you wouldn't have as intensive a film as you do, or something that feels realistic as it does. And with all of these elements coming together, you just have something here that isn't really Oscar bait. It's actually something that is gritty, emotional. Not powerful, but just it, it's a it's a depressing and almost um, saddening watch to to see um, almost almost like uh, what Twelve Years a Slave was for most people. Um, but whereas Twelve Years a Slave was kind of something that happened and it saddened a lot of people. Again, for me, this was more anger-inducing because seeing kind of more the modern stuff that's happening today—that's happened in the past four or five years, has happened in the past couple months. <laughs> seeing all that happen and then going back and seeing a slice of history in uh, theatrical form, seeing how that plays out—it's like, yeah, um, yeah, this this hurts to watch. It, watch, yeah, this hurts to watch and. The, as for negatives, there are a few negatives, but they're not they're not much to talk about. They're just nitpicks. Uh, and remember earlier, if I you you'll probably remember earlier, I said that almost everybody here is that's shown it, has a morally gray area, and there is one person who does show up who doesn't feel like they have a morally gray center, and that is uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who is played by Michael Sheen um michael sheen is almost unrecognizable but (laughs) there are times where that makeup kind of makes him look like a full-on super villain and the way that they light him or the way that they have him say his lines it feels like he was the only character who um who was supposed to be the full-on mustache twirling villain like he doesn't he doesn't he's not smarmy like a villain but you could tell that there were some things like how he says certain things or how they make him seem that made him seem like, yeah, he's he's a villain. Like th- this is supposed to be the villain and you're supposed to hate him. And which kind of makes sense because um, because he was the one that um, that approved of the infiltration and um, all the events were happening under his um uh, under his watch, and he even he even has a line where he's like, "The Black Panther Party is the, uh, will be the worst thing that happens to this country, and because if you let them join, yeah, if you let them, if you keep these guys going, then they're gonna bring in communism. Then they're gonna unite the uh the hippies and then the communists and this new left party movement." And I'm like, that that's a- it, it it feels exaggerated, but I but if history has taught us taught us anything, J Edgar Hoover was exactly like that, and Martin Sheen does a fantastic job with what he's given. But because this is a movie, you can kind of feel, um, the th- you could kind of feel the movie being theatrical, um, in those situations. But I'm not gonna blame them for it because. Jay or Hoover can go fuck himself. But anyway, besides that, and besides a few other uh, things here and there, be, like I said, because this is a based on a true story, not everything is completely and one hundred percent accurate. Everything's a lot of moments are played for dramatic effect, so there might be a few inaccuracies here and there. But regardless, this Judas and the Black Messiah is probably one of the best films of the year for me almost every actor, every performance across the board is some of the best I've seen. The writing is fantastic. Shaka King and Miss and Sean Bobbitt do a fantastic job with the directing and cinematography and lighting. This movie is probably one of the best movies of the year. I don't know if this movie will get nominated for it'll get nominated for something. It'll probably be nominated for best movie of the year. I think, um, I think, and I hope Lakeith Stanford and Daniel Kaluuya will be nominated for their roles. I don't know if Dominic Fishback will be nominated for her role, but it would be nice if she was honestly between the, between those three, uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanford at least getting nominated. Um, they're the high contenders for me here hopefully um hopefully their performances stand out um throughout this particular year because i can't wait to see uh if the oscars um give them this uh give them this oscar because they do deserve it and judas and a black messiah for me i've been debating about this for a while i don't know if i should give this a great movie to buy on blu-ray or cinematic gold but after rewatching it and after going through some of the points, um, for me, um, for me and thinking back on some of the negative stuff, I don't really have that many negatives with this movie and, um, I don't want to give it a great movie to buy on Blu-ray because I feel like that's undermining it a bit, but yeah, but, um, but it, it is, it is imperfect but not as imperfect as i would um but not as imperfect as i'm making it out to be. So at the end of the day, this is probably the first cinematic gold on my channel and the first cinematic gold of 2020 of uh, 2021. So yes, Judas and the Black Messiah is a cinematic gold. That's my final rating. I really enjoyed this movie and I can't wait for you guys to see this. And if you already have Please let me know, um, please let me know wherever you guys, uh, uh, find me, please. And, and also before you go, I would highly recommend, um, as you watch this, um, if you decide to watch this movie, because this movie, um uh, for me was very anger inducing or very, um, very like emotionally draining for me, at least for me, it was, um, there are a few movies that I would recommend to you probably as either a binge watch or at, or just, um, just as a, uh, either a cool off or something to kind of prepare you for what's about to happen. Um, I would recommend watching these movies beforehand because these movies feel more lighthearted than, than this movie does. And you don't really want the message or you don't want the, uh, The story of Fred Hampton and the Black Black Panther infiltration to be undermined. So I will honestly say um, watch these two movies before watching Judas and the Black Messiah and then end with Judas and the Black Messiah. Or if you decide to start with Judas and the Black Messiah, at least watch one of these movies after. And those two movies are One Night in Miami, which is directed by Regina King. And um, the trial of sh- the the trial of Chicago Seven on Netflix. Um, both of those movies are, again, they're biopics, but uh, one of them is based off of a play, and cause, and um, the reason why I would say One Night in Miami first is because um, it is before ju- it, A lot of the events of that of that movie slash play take place before. The events of Judas and the Black Messiah, even though Fred Hampton and all these other people aren't mentioned. But it is, I think it takes place around 1968 or 1969. And um, it does happen before this. And it does kind of set up uh, kind of set up that um, anger, feel, the angry feeling that everybody had um, during the 1969s and um, what inspired Fred Hampton to kind of move forward a bit um with the rainbow coalition and um and and everything that's happened um but whereas um both of those movies uh the trial of chicago seven and one night in miami kind of deal with uh kind of kind of basically deal with um dialogue and kind of care can i care uh scene the scene character moments again judas and the black messiah is more of um it, yeah, it's more of a dramatic, uh, telling of the infiltrate of the Black Panther infiltration. And again, um, if you, I'll, I'll say it like this, if you want to end your night angry, then you watch Judas and the Black Messiah last. But if you want to, but if you want to watch Judas and the Black Messiah, Messiah first, but you're like, okay, that was, that was a bit heavy, man. I got to, Cool down a bit, yeah. I gotta cool down a bit. I gotta, uh, yeah. I gotta cool down and watch something. I watch something else to kind of uh, get this, un, get this unhappy feeling out of me. Then watch one night in Miami or the trial, or the trial of Chicago Seven, because at least one of those movies n- ends in a kind of uh, not a feel good, but at least ends in a way where you don't feel sad or bitter. Um, Like I did. Uh, So anyway, Cinematic Gold is my rating for Judas and the Black Messiah. Please let me know if you watch this movie. Um, And up next, we'll um, be talking about Willy's Wonderland, starring the predominantly iconic Nicolas Cage. So please stay tuned for that. Nothing nothing in this world compares to how batshit insane Nicholas Cage is. Like every single time I see this man, he is doing something more batshit insane than the last movie that he's done. <laughs> Whether it be his long ass hair and his shitty southern accent and con air to his um to playing Johnny Blaze and fucking Ghost Rider, this man does not do um normal job normal acting jobs anymore. He he has to do something that's fucking insane now. And nothing and what's more insane than Nicolas Cage going up against a bunch of possessed animatronics at a birthday party restaurant that's like Chuck E. Cheese. Well, you might think that sounds crazy, but wait until you watch Willie's wonderland which does star our man the myth the legend nicholas cage and from what i remember this was a uh small indie movie that was funded by like i think on what um I believe it was gofundme but basically basically it goes like this Willie's wonderland stars Nicholas Cage as Nicholas Cage and hit basically his car gets hit by a flat uh gets hit by some uh, zigzags basically those uh um those t- those tire punctures that uh police put out when there's a high speed chase going on and Basically, he doesn't really have any money or he does. But, the um the ATMs in that town don't really work. So the mayor of the town decides, hey, if you don't have any money and you don't have a place to stay for the night, how about you uh come to uh, Willie's Wonderland and stay there for the night? And while you're there, can you clean it up for me? We're trying to reopen this place. And if you can uh clean the entire place up and uh, up by the end of the night. We'll have your car out here, fixed, tuned up, looking nice and clean for you, and your debt will be paid. And so, Nicolas Cage decides to take the job. Only thing is that what they don't tell him is that he has been picked to be a human sacrifice for Willie and his, yeah, for Willie and his animatronic friends, and... Little do they know that even the trailer says this Nicholas Cage isn't locked in here with them. They're locked in here with him. And that's that's it. That's the entire story. That's the entire synopsis. The basically Nicholas it's Nicholas Cage in a ripoff Chuck E. Cheese beating the shit out of some animatronics a couple teenagers show up, but that's predominantly it. There's really not that much going on here. And, um, obviously you guys already know, um, this is based on what I've said. This is basically being pulled directly from five nights at Freddy's, the five nights at Freddy's craze that happened a couple of years ago that, um, is still going strong And kind of like how creepy and weird the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese are. And I'll say this, this movie, this particular movie actually does, um, the animatronics at least, most of them are decent. Others are not. Like, um, uh, there's Ozzy the ostrich. I think it is. He looks fine. The gorilla looks okay, I guess, but then there are some that where they just gave up halfway. They put they put a they put a mask on a person, like a like a full like a headgear mask, like an entire head mask, and just uh, put put that person in a dress and called it a pixie. And it was like, yeah, that that that's your costume. And Willie's uh, Willie's animatronic, at least to me, looks the worst out of all of them, or at least works. It look his, his looks the worst. Out of all of the other animatronics and um, you can kind of tell that a lot of the budget went mostly to Nicolas Cage because you can I'm pretty sure they could have made those animatronics look a little bit better and the and that's the other thing too because you can kind of tell what type of budget this movie has. Um, on screen, because when when you go on Wikipedia or IMDb and you find out that this movie was made for about five to ten million dollars, you're you're like, I'm willing to wager that Nicholas Cage either pocketed for, or funded like an extra th- like two million, um, to produce this movie because that yeah because um, if this was yeah yeah because. If this was a more well put together movie, it wouldn't look this bad. And that's the other thing about this movie: you can't really tell if it's bad on purpose or if it's just bad. And this is, and honestly, for most people, that's probably a good thing. But for me, it's not really a good thing. Thing, it's it's not really much of a good thing at all. Um, and I can't even necessarily say if I like this movie or not, because, um, this movie is supposed to basically be a horror comedy, but after a while it stops trying to scare you because it's like, look, we know what you're here for. And, um, it just straight, it just straight up ends up being a comedy. And, um, all I can say is, is that if you know what you're going into, you'll probably enjoy this movie more than uh, more than others. This movie is definitely not for everybody because, again, like I said, the um, the budget is shown on screen. Usually you can tell um, um, the budget of a movie when it's shown on screen. Like, if you see a movie and it says that it looks like it's made for almost a billion dollars or like a hundred billion dollars, something like that, you can tell. Yeah, because everything looks nice. The camera shot really well. Um, it actually the the writing is actually more well done done yeah you can yeah even even the actors that they hire you're like yeah this this is like a b-list or an a-list actor you actually pulled out the styles for this but um when you have something like this and you you see that it's made for like five million dollars you can tell it's you, you you can tell that everything like everything on the screen you can you can tell because everything just looks like it's not optimized well if that's the word like it's like the movie like it doesn't it looks dirty but not because the not because they're in a dirty ass uh uh, pe- pe- uh party restaurant or whatever uh uh it's not because of that, it's because the camera looks like it's low quality, um, the, you can tell that they didn't really have that many locations, so they just shot uh, a scene in the same, uh, in the same corridor, with, that only has a few lights, has a few lights str- strong about, um, they only had one door, they only had, like, two or three rooms to work with, um, like you, you could tell, you could tell the money that's on screen. Even the uh, fight scenes that happen between Nicolas Cage and the animatronics are not choreographed well because there's a lot of. There was literally one moment where he was fighting, um, one of the animatronics, and you can tell that, uh, Nicolas Cage is just standing there. They're like, okay, uh, we're gonna move the animatronic this way. You just, uh, yeah, you just move, move your hand with the with the stick this way. Okay, now we're going to go the other way. Okay, that, that's good. And then, rather than have a full-on f- uh, fight scene choreographed, they just shake the camera. <laughs> they, they shake the camera to make it seem like something's happening or make it seem more intense than it actually is. But you, it, it it doesn't make it interesting. It just makes it jarring. And And, and again, most of the time, you're okay with this because Nicolas Cage is there and it looks like he's having a good time or he looks like he's just okay with this doing with the uh, this crazy movie until you start to realize holy shit and you start to realize this quickly it's even in the trailer they even acknowledge it Nicholas Cage has no lines and the, like Nicolas Cage has no lines at all like the only line that he has is he screams that is like, he screams once, and that is it, and the, the, it baffles me that he has no lines at all, because this would be a situation where he would have no, have, have some sort of line, or have some sort of characterization, like, where did this man come from, who is he, why is he here, like, we know why he's here, but, um, is there a deeper agenda on, um, with him, because throughout the movie, Um, they even say this at the beginning of the movie, um, or at least, um, as soon as he gets into Willie's wonderland, he's like, uh, the mayor's like, Oh, Hey, um, it's best to take brace and pace yourself, um, uh, whenever you do, um, while you're uh, working. So you, so you're not uh, tiring yourself out. All right. Uh, Okay. Uh, just take care. All right. Um, just make sure you, uh, do the work properly and make sure you take a lot of breaks and, uh he, do, he his watch he has his watch set to take certain breaks so he can drink this uh uh this punch soda which i think is like um some off brand coke or probably some grape soda or some shit and um he and while he's drinking the soda he plays um, some pinball and um he and he's so ocd about this is that uh, he's so ocd about Um, taking breaks, and making sure he does uh, um, the job well, um, that he has to, um, that even when he's in the middle of fighting an animatronic, um, once his watch goes off, he'll just leave this, he'll just leave the area, go take his break, and play some pinball, (laughs) drink his soda, and then go about his bit, and then uh, once once his break is over, he'll go about doing his business, and, and that's the other thing about this movie that um, I'll say, it. and this is what I mean when I'm like, I can't tell if this movie is trying to be bad or if it just, or if it's just bad, because there are some moments in this movie that make you laugh and you actually, um, th- that I genuinely laughed at, whether it be. Um, Something that Nicolas Cage says or the fact that he has little to no reaction or the simple fact that he's so OCD that he has to take his that he has to take his break or he's so um, OCD that um, after he kills the animatronics rather than just leave their bodies there, he actually cleans up the animatronics, puts them in trash bags and all the oil that spills out, spills out of the animatronics. He cleans that up and then takes off the shirt. Uh, takes off his um tattered shirt puts on another one and then um wraps himself up in duct tape <laughs> duct tape it's and yeah and he's like dancing to like um a Willy's Wonderland thing or something that I guess is playing in his head because it can't be from the pinball machine um but regardless he's um dancing to like uh um to some music that's playing in his head, and I'm um, playing the pinball machine, taking breaks and whatnot, and it's just that routine, and the fact that he has this routine that he's so adamant about, um, and adamant about it. It is kind of funny, but that's the but the other issue about this movie is is besides Willie and the other animatronics and um, why all this is happening. They don't really explain much anything else. They don't explain anything about Nicolas Cage, why he's mute, why he has to drink his soda, why is he, why is he so adamant about um, playing this care? Why why, not playing this care? Why is he so adamant about playing this pinball machine and taking his breaks or drinking this soda? It like it, like your your mind starts to wonder like. Ooh, like at the beginning, like ooh, is he, like is he an animatronic? Is he a kid whose parents got killed by Willie and his gang, and he escaped and he's come back for revenge? I even heard um, a rumor online, like is he the devil? Like is he coming to collect these uh, soul, the souls of the animatronics now and end uh, their um and end the chaos that they have amongst this town? They don't explain none of this shit. The, y- y- whatever, whatever theory the internet has made up for this movie, and whatever theory that they're gonna stick to, th- th- that that doesn't matter because what whatever they whatever they come up with is probably better than whatever they have, whatever the um writer and direct the writer and director of this movie have, because kind of like Scott Coffin with his series, they're probably just gonna make this shit up as they go along and and honestly, that's not, that's not good because, again, for every moment where there is a there is a funny or interesting thing that happens because it's crazy, Nicolas Cage or they just let Nicolas Cage do whatever he wants, there's another moment that just um there's another moment where there's something that you start to question and the movie ends up falling apart or there's something that you start to notice whether it be with, editing, sound mixing or just how did how, like how, how low as you can go of, of a budget this movie is. Again, when you see it on screen, there are some movies that are low budget. You can't even tell that they're low budget. Again, Evil Dead probably had less of a budget than this. Pulp Fiction had no budget at all, and yet he was able to hire Bruce Willis, um, like Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta in their primes before they were anybody. And he was able to make something that was really well done. And it's because he had a script that was really well done. Yeah, they had a script that was really well done. They had actors and people who were passionate about film, passionate enough to make these movies and not to kind of I'm not bagging on this movie because it's bad or I think it's bad. I'm bagging on it because you can kind of tell. That there's not much of a budget here. It's admirable, honestly. If anything, it's more admirable that they were able to make this movie at all, even with a low budget, rather than, rather than just make something and put it on. But rather than, like, yeah, rather than just like you know, uh, not make anything at all or just make something for straight for YouTube. But I feel this is this is honestly what I think happens. I honestly think that this movie was actually centered around the teenagers and I'm going to get to them in a moment, um, because I have some, something to say about them. Um, but I, but I feel like it was fo- more focused on the teenagers and their situation and they had their own story, but then Nicolas Cage, uh, found the script online somewhere. or saw this go me and he was like, Oh yeah, I was, I was just looking at this, uh, this, this trailer for, uh, what is Wonderland, and it looks like a really good script, man. Man, good job, man. Like this looks really interesting. Oh well, thank you, Mister Cage. Man, it, it's so nice to hear to hear that from you. I actually, it gives me the confidence to make this movie. You know, we don't really have much of a budget. I'm, 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 I'm really excited to make this movie. Yeah, yeah. I wish the best for you. I, I wish the best for you, man. I, I, I really like the script. I'm in. What? I said, I'm in. Oh, 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 oh! you're in. No, no, no. Oh, Mr. Kitch, with all due respect, the, the movie's basically done. We, we really don't know. Yeah. I said, I'm in. I, I'm in your movie now. Just take it as a blessing. Okay, okay, okay sir. As a matter of fact, I'll make your job even easier. You don't have to give me any lie. You don't want any lines? I, I don't need lines. I, I'll use my method acting. You, uh, uh, okay. You're welcome. Trust me. You're going to make millions. It, like it, it, It's like he read the script. And he the, he, it's like he read the script before it was done. And then he was like, yeah, this, a, this is a really cool and a weird movie. I'm in, like, like he literally just he was. It was like he was like, I'm, I'm in your movie regardless of if you want it to or not, regardless if it makes sense or not. I'm in your movie now. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm in your movie now. Deal with it. As a matter of fact, I'll even fund your movie, so I'm a producer. It, it literally feels like that, and even if that's not true, it does feel like that, and. The reason why I even say that is because the, t- is because he really doesn't have any um reaction to the animatronics he has very little reaction with the animatronics and he has almost no reaction to the kids <laughs> like the teenage kids that show up in this movie that they, they're just there like there's one that they actually who actually has a backstory and a reason for um being at Willie's Wonderland but the rest. It was almost like the characters knew that they were the cliches that were parodied in Cabin in the Woods. There was even one character, a black character, who comes in and is like, "Look, man, I'm not going in there. If we go in there, we're dead." And he, like he, there's two times where he tries to leave, but then his slutty girlfriend says, "Well, I'm going up. Well, I'm going in there." And then she, and then they can't really get into the place without um, going through a through the vents or whatnot. So she climbs up the ladder. And because she's the slutty stereotype, she climbs the ladder. She has on a miniskirt, shows her ass to the group, and then the black guy, her boyfriend, um, the guy who's like, I'm, I'm not staying here because if we go in there, we're dead. Um, she, he turns around and looks at, and looks at her climb up the stairs. He's like, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> it, 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 it's, almo- it's almost like there was, it's almost like, it's almost like she was like, Well, if you're not gonna go in here and fuck me someone else here is and then yeah and then there's another time where he does try to leave again and and it's and again I'm not going to say what happens but he just but they for the movie forces him into this situation it forces all of these characters into the situation even though they don't want to be there and then after they try not to, after, the, this is how ridiculous this movie is after Immediately after, immediately after they get inside, after they get inside on accident, it's like the one character who was so adamant about leaving. He's just like, "Oh, oh, this is a nice place. Oh, hey, hey look, hey, look, that sign points to a uh, secret room or to to the fun room. Yeah, let's go in there. Fuck, <laughs> like." <laughs> It's like all all the characters who had who had um, strong opinions of going against all of this. It's like they, it's like as soon as they stepped inside Willie's Wonderland, all the character, like a lot of the characters, either stopped having lines or just became those stereotypical characters that were made fun of in Cabin in the Woods. And again, I couldn't tell if it was parroting. If it was a parody of slasher films and Five Nights at Freddy's put together or if it was just falling into those archetypes because it was just easier to do that. This is a hard movie to critique, honestly, because, again, those characters are not interesting except one of them. And the actress that plays that character, um e- Emily Tosta, yeah, Emily Tosta, she... She's okay. She's okay. She's not. She's not great, but she's okay. And honestly, I really don't want to bag on this movie because it's not movie garbage. It's that's not what it is at all. If anything, this is a C movie that's trying to be a B movie. Um, would I watch this movie? I watched this movie twice. I watched it once, and I was like, and the first time I was like. I, there were parts that I liked and there were parts that I didn't like, but I ended up liking it. The second time I watched it, I ended up not liking it as much and I saw more of the cracks. And by the time I watched it the second time, I was like, would I watch this again? And the answer is no. If I were to watch this again on my own, um, it would be because it's on TV somewhere or i or I got it for free, or I bought it on sale, and I'm bored, and I just wanted to watch it. Um, but if I was watching this with a couple of my friends during Halloween, and we had a bunch of junk food, and if I did drink, like we had a couple beers and whatnot, uh, whatnot and we were like, hey, I, w- I really want to watch this beer. Oh yeah, yeah, but we watched the thing. We watched Halloween. We watched all those classic monster movies. Have you seen Willy's Wonderland? I'm like, yeah, I would definitely pull this out and um show my friends this. Hell, I hell I probably wouldn't even. I probably do like one of those um bad movie nights where I'm like, I'm not, or I pick the movie, but I don't tell my friends what we're watching. And I'm like, okay, as soon as the movie's on, none of you motherfuckers can leave unless you're going to take a piss or going to get another drink. Or going to or, or going to get more snacks, you, you but until then you cannot leave this house because we are finishing this. We're watching this movie and finishing it, and that's the other thing about this movie too. It's as low budget as it is, as ridiculously um, dumb as it is. It's still fun to watch. I did chuckle a couple times at the movie when the movie was stopped trying to make you make you feel scared. It. It's actually a decent time, but it's better um, with friends. It's better. It it's better when you're k- kind of having a trashy night. When you're like when you're having a trashy night, where you're indulging on soda and be- soda and beer and pizza and sour patch kids and starbursts and skittles and whatnot with your friends. Again, this is a Halloween night movie. Or at least a Halloween binge watch movie, like like if you're watching a bunch of like slasher films and horror films, like if you're watching Get Out and Halloween and the Friday and like some of the Friday Thirteenth movies, throw in Willy's Wonderland into that mix just to spice things up a bit and see how people react. Like this is this is one of those movies, and honestly for me, um with but and honestly for me without that element, this is a one and done like like Willy's Wonderland is the definition of one and done. You can like you'll rent it once or yeah, you'll rent it once and then you'll never watch it again. Which is what happened with me. I I can sit here and adamantly say I watched Willy's Wonderland. I I probably won't watch it again on my own and I can't really recommend it to you guys, but if you want to watch it, I'll watch it with you. And Honestly, that's as much as I can say about it. As um, that yeah, that's just that's just as much as I can say about it. It's it's not it's not bad, but it's not good either. And honest, but it is worth watching at least once. And if you guys like it, if you like if you like this uh, ridiculously over the top crazy ass movie, um, then by all means share it with your friends. Watch it with some people on a during someone's birthday party dur- during Halloween whatever and j- just get drunk and have a good time just yeah but if you or one of your friends is like well, this movie's bullshit then don't don't be surprised to hear that I'm I'm telling you now it it isn't it isn't the best movie out there but you might enjoy a few moments here and there like I did but anyways that's it for our reviews, ladies and gentlemen. Um, please t- uh, tell me on Twitter at Azarius Daniels, Facebook at Azarius Daniels, or on Instagram at Azarius Daniels what you guys think about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Willie's Wonderland, and my reviews. Please, I really want to know you guys' opinions, what you guys think about these reviews. Should I um, do more? Should I bring more people in? Honestly, I'm so glad to be doing this right now and I can't wait to uh do uh more content for you guys. This one's a little bit later than I wanted, but I can't, um um in the next couple of weeks I'm actually going to be doing a three I'm going to be doing three movies in the next couple of weeks. Um I know next week or it's either next week or this week. Um, Tom and Jerry comes out. So we'll be doing that one for you guys. And I'm also going to be doing a new segment called a look back where we take a look back to where we take a look at some older films, um, basically older films that have either um, been critically or financially uh, unsuccessful or or movies that have a nostalgic take on them, whether it be my nostalgia take or or someone else's nostalgia take and we'll be uh, seeing if they hold up or, or if they stay the same. Um, And honestly, I can't wait to uh, start because in honor of the, the new Zack Snyder's justice league movie that's coming out, I want to take a look at the first three movies in the DCEU, which are man of steel Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, and uh, the theatrical cut, aka the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League. And I can't wait to get those out for you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy this review. Hopefully you guys stick with me with me for the next one. I can't wait to uh, dive back into the DCEU and see whether or not... Um, whether or not all these movies hold up so um the next reviews um that'll be out will be for um tom and jerry and manis and my first look back segment um for man of steel so be on the lookout for those and i'll see you next time